Hi, you are listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. You will be hearing a sermon from Pastor Jared Aron. So without further ado, here he is. So Pastor Dave is out of country for the next couple weeks. I think he's in Hong Kong right now speaking at a church retreat. And then he's traveling down to Indonesia uh, to visit some of our missionary partners. And Ed and Jeannie will be joining them next week uh, in Indonesia. So just be praying for Pastor Dave uh, during this trip and also for Ed and Jeannie. So you're stuck with me the next couple weeks for preaching. So it's going to be okay. So... So growing up, um, I did not care for reading whatsoever. Um, My second grade reading teacher was named Mrs. Krusler, and maybe that was part of it. She just, yeah. I did not enjoy reading class in school, and I certainly didn't like reading for fun. And it wasn't until college that I began to read on my own, outside my school obligations. How many readers do we have here? I just... I know. Oh, okay. That's more than I thought. That's more than I thought. So up until a few years ago, I didn't read anything but nonfiction. I honestly thought um, fiction was a complete waste of time. So then I read one fiction book a few years ago, and I, it turned the corner for me. I started reading fiction. And Yvonne and I are both avid re- readers, and we enjoy like going to coffee shops and just reading together. I don't know if that's nerdy. If it is, we are nerds, so I will embrace that. And I'm typically reading like a handful of books at a time. And one of the things I've learned is there are so many books out there. So you need to choose wisely on what you read. I was trying to get some like real-time data on this. Uh, The best estimates are there's probably one to two million books published each year globally. So that just tells you there's so many books out there. And I realized that I got to really be discerning in what I choose to read. And so I'm thankful for the internet and apps like Goodreads that give me ratings and reviews so I can, you know, figure out what to read next. So many options for what to read. We live in a world of options, don't we? And when it comes to religion, One estimate says there are 4,200 different religions practiced in the world today. 4,200 different religions. Are there 4,200 different options to God? Are all religions basically the same? Is Jesus just one of the ways or is he really the only way? I'm giving you a little teaser of where this message is going. We'll get there eventually. Uh, but this morning, we're going to be in John chapter 10. So if you have your Bible with you, with you uh, turn to John chapter 10, starting in verse 1. And as you open up, and the, they'll be on the slides too, the verses, I just want to pray for us and ask God to just really open up our hearts uh, to his word this morning. So let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Your word that speaks about what is real and true in this world, 
and about you. And I pray this morning, God, that your word would speak to us. God, you know exactly where every person is at in this room right now. And I pray right now, God, that they would know that they are loved by you. They are seen by you. This morning, God, I pray that you would reveal again to us who Jesus is, who Jesus really is, and who Jesus should be to us. And so, God, I pray for anointing over this time, um, for myself as I speak, but also for everyone here as we listen, that we would really hear from you. We would hear your truth, and we would know your heart for us. And so we pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. So John 14, starting in verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. My Father's house has plenty of room. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas said to Jesus, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So context is always very important when we read scripture. In the previous chapters in John 12 and 13, Jesus begins to tell his disciples about his upcoming betrayal and death. And Jesus is beginning to name the agony that he's feeling about all this. Here are two examples. John 12, 27 and 28. This is Jesus speaking. Now my heart is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. In John 13, 21, after he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. In these verses, we are seeing the humanity of Jesus. He had emotions He felt weighed down and burdened about what was coming. And his disciples are beginning to be troubled by all this. And they're confused. And Jesus speaks into their confusion. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. And I want to help us understand what the disciples were going through. And I want to try to illustrate this. Imagine being at an engagement party for some good friends, a couple that just recently got engaged. 
And during the party and the dinner conversation, the the soon-to-be bride starts sharing things that you wouldn't expect. You'd expect her to be beaming with joy and excitement about her upcoming wedding. You'd expect her to be speaking about her future marriage with dreams filled with hope and optimism. But instead, she starts sharing how troubled she feels. She starts saying things like she wants to get away from all this and just get out of town. And everybody in the the room can feel it. Like, this is awkward. There's something not right here. And as you're sitting there listening to the bride-to-be, you're feeling a sense of disturbance. And your heart is troubled for her in her upcoming marriage. And this is kind of the picture of what the disciples are going through as Jesus is talking about his upcoming death and that he will be leaving them. They're like, what's going on? What is going on? You see, the disciples expected a coronation day soon for Jesus to be crowned king and to lead the Jewish people back to prominence over Rome. They're expecting a day of glory, like a wedding day. And they're going to be a part of the celebration. But now Jesus is talking about his imminent departure. And even though he was struggling with his own agony, Jesus defers himself and focuses on their agony instead of his own. And as I was preparing this message and kind of entering into this scripture, it struck me so deeply again. Jesus is so unbelievably selfless. He is ridiculously selfless, deferring himself time and time again. It wasn't just the cross alone. Jesus lived a life of selflessness and compassion and putting others before himself. As I've shared in the the past, to be a follower of Jesus is to grow to become more like him. So as I see and experience Jesus' selflessness and compassion when I read scripture, I recognize that's the call on my life. That's the call on your life if you're a follower of Jesus, is to grow in selflessness and to grow in compassion for others. Let me tell you, every single relationship you have, every relationship is an opportunity to grow in selflessness and compassion. There is not a shortage of opportunities out there. John 14, 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. He acknowledges where the disciples are at in their troubled hearts, but he doesn't leave them there. He directs them forward and points them to who they need to go to. In your agony, in the trouble that you experience in your life, who do you go to? Who will you trust when your heart is burdened and weighed down? And simply stated, Jesus says here, Trust in God. 
Trust also in me. Jesus here is linking faith in God to faith in himself, a statement about his identity as God. You know, the response to trouble is trust. The answer to your troubled heart is learning to trust. And it matters who you trust. A a child knows this. When a child is in trouble, they turn to their mom or dad for protection and safety and comfort. A child knows where to go when they're facing trouble. Do you know where you need to go when you face trouble? Trust is bound up in the one who you are trusting. And there's no one greater, there's no one more dependable than God. So in your agony, will you learn to trust God? And Jesus goes on, and he begins to tell his disciples why they don't need to despair. In John 14, 2, my father's house has plenty of room. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. And Jesus is coming back one day. The current trouble and agony of this life is not the end. There is more to come. And Jesus is preparing a place for those who belong to him. Hear what Jesus says here. My father's house has plenty of room. The father's house refers to our eternal dwelling in the new heavens and new earth. And there are many rooms, many dwelling places There's a lot of space. And this is encouraging news for us. We have to remember that there is a hope beyond what we see right now. And part of our trust in God is remembering our future hope. That what we see right now is not the end of the story. So verse 4 you know, the, you know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? One commentator I was reading was saying that Thomas is, is being grumpy here. And I, I like that. I like, I like hearing that Jesus had grumpy friends that he had to deal with. And beyond being grumpy... I would say Thomas is pretty clueless. And time and time again in the Gospels, the disciples just don't get it. They just don't get it. Like us, they forget. Or they don't fully realize who Jesus is and who Jesus should be to us. Thomas really has no clue what Jesus is talking about here. He's so focused on the destination We don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? I'm so like Thomas so often. 
I want to get down to the practical. I want to know the plan and the, the next steps. I want to map it out together. And Jesus here, he's bringing things back to focus on himself rather than the destination. I sense Jesus in this moment is like, okay, guys, settle down. I'm going to make things very clear for you right now. He says in verse 6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Thomas is puzzled by the way. How can we know the way? And Jesus says clearly here, I'm the way. I am the way. I am the way and the truth and the life. And the truth and the life support the fact that he is the way. Jesus is the truth. He is the truth of God. He embodies the supreme revelation of God. He is the word made flesh. And Jesus is the life. He is the life of God. He has life in himself. He is the resurrection and the life which he told us in John 11. And because he is the truth, and because he is the life, he can be the way for others to come to God. And when Jesus says he is the way, I want to be very clear here. He is not just blazing a trail and a path to God. He is the path. He is the trail to God. He says here, no one comes to the Father except through me. This sentence reiterates and backs up Jesus' claim to be the only way to God. There is no other way. Jesus says, I am the way back to the Father. In verse 7, if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Jesus is making it clear that he and the Father are one, and that to know Jesus is to know God the Father. Jesus says he is the only way to the Father. The exclusivity of this claim is not popular in our culture these days. It's not popular in a world that has 4,200 different religions. And I want to enter into the tension of this for a moment. First thing, we should never apologize for what God reveals about himself clearly in Scripture. I don't think it can be any clearer here. Jesus is saying, I am the only way to God. I don't know how you read this verse any other way. Second, though, we need to have tremendous compassion and sensitivity with this. I have a good friend of mine that we've had conversations about this very verse. And we disagree on what we believe about this verse. And when we sit and talk, do I shame him for what he believes? Absolutely not. 
I love him. I listen to him. I try to understand him. And I try to care for him. Do I back down on what I believe? No, I do not. I humbly and lovingly share what I believe scripture is very clear about this. And beyond just having a civil relationship, we actually care for each other a lot. And we have a great relationship where we can talk through things like this. I understand the exclusivity of this claim brings up questions about God's fairness. What about people from different religious backgrounds and cultures? And I want to respond to this. I want to remind us of God's heart for every single person on this planet. And I want to direct us back to some scripture. In Acts 17, Paul is in Athens. And he's in a city that has many idols. And he stands up at one point, and he points to an unknown idol. And he says, let me tell you about the one true God, the Lord of heaven and earth. He says in Acts 17, 26 and 27, I think this shows God's heart for every person. From one man, he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. Do you see God's heart in this passage? God has sovereignly orchestrated the nations and the people groups of this world. This isn't a surprise to him. God has marked out every person's appointed time in history and where they would live. Why? Verse 27. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. God has put every person in their exact spot, in time, in history, in family background, in religious background, culture background, so they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him because he's not far from any one of us. This is reassuring words from Scripture that God is near to every person in this world. And God has put them where they are at so they could perhaps find him. I've heard stories of people from other cultures and religious backgrounds seeing visions and having dreams of Jesus. God is able to reveal himself to people from other cultures and people groups. God is near. He will be found by those who seek after him. I recently read Francis Chan's new book, Letters to the Church. I'd highly recommend it if you're a reader. Uh, He just talks about the state of American Christianity, what God's doing around the world, and he shares some amazing stats of how God is moving around our planet. I just want to share a few of these. In China, in 2002, a church planning movement in China brought about in one year 
15,000 new churches and baptized 160,000 new believers in Jesus Christ. One year, 15,000 churches, 160,000 believers. In Kazakhstan, after centuries of hostility to Christianity, many Central Asian Muslims are embracing Jesus and the gospel. At the turn of the century, more than 13,000 Kazakhstan people came to faith, worshiping in more than 300 new churches. In India, in the decade of 1990s, the Kui people of Orissa started nearly 1,000 new churches. In 1999 alone, they baptized more than 8,000 new believers. In Mongolia, Outer Mongolia, a church planting movement began, saw more than 10,000 new followers of Jesus. Another movement in Inner Mongolia, more than 50,000 new believers, new followers of Christ. God is moving all around our world. These are staggering numbers that only highlight a fraction of what God is doing to reveal Jesus as the way and the truth and the life to all peoples around our planet. Sometimes we get so tripped up on the truth that there's only one way to God. The other side of this is that there is a way to God. Do you get what I'm saying? There is a way back to God. God has not abandoned us. He has provided a way, and the way does not involve us trying to clean up our lives, to do a lot of good things, to measure up, to try to be a better person. No, it centers on what God has done for us through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus, for our sins, that we were spiritually dead, but we can be made alive through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the way. He is the way. In the book of Acts, there are multiple times that the early Christians are referred to as the way. The way. Not an institution, not defined by a building, but rather a movement of people who were radically living out the way of Jesus, the way of Jesus as salvation and life. It's not enough just to acknowledge that Jesus is the way. We are people of the way of Jesus. And the way of Jesus is a life of sacrificial, selfless living, trusting in Jesus for salvation, and choosing to acknowledge Jesus as the true King. The way of Jesus is not just a set of beliefs, but it's living under his reign and worshiping Jesus above anything else. As I close, I'm ending early today. This is intentional, don't worry. Uh, After the service today, there's a practical way to respond and to live like Jesus. Uh, We have Servant Fest today where our ministry teams are highlighting themselves 
in creative ways because there's a need. There's a need for more servants to join their team, to share the burden of the ministry. And serving is at the very core of the way of Jesus, demonstrating a life of sacrifice and selflessness for the sake of others, for the sake of his kingdom. If you're not serving yet here at Harvest, I want to encourage you to take a step of faith today. Hang around. Check out the different teams. Uh, Talk to some people and check out what the teams are doing. See how the Spirit of God might be leading you to step up and serve today. Serving is a great way to get more connected here at Harvest and just to be a part of the body of Christ. If you're already serving at Harvest, first I want to thank you. We have so many amazing servants here at our church. Uh, Maybe you're on a team that has a rotation. So you serve one month and you're off the next month. Maybe God might be asking you to double up your serving efforts. Consider joining a second team today. More than anything, we want God to lead you and for you to follow him in this. In a world of options and choices, Jesus makes it clear. He's not just one of the choices. He's not just one of the options. He is the way back to God the Father. And God is revealing his son Jesus all around this world in ways that we can't even imagine. And he longs for people to find him. He longs for people to discover that Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. And Jesus is the life. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.